had one of their children get married this weekend. Show of hands. Oh, just me. Okay, never mind. Wow, I'll never do that again. Well, maybe one more time. If we can find anybody for Jonathan, that'll be the trick. Uh, but uh, we, uh, uh, we are starting a new series today. And, you know, you get ready. It's kind of in, in the pastoral world. Uh, you get ready for Christmas all fall. And then starting right after Christmas, you start preparing for Easter. And then once Easter comes and goes, it's like, well, now what do we do? Uh, you get ready for Bible school, kind of uh, that mindset. But, but there are some important things in between. This is actually that really critical time where we start to focus on things that where we really are trying to put in place what we were trying to do for the year. And for this year, we are really focusing on building small groups. And, and we, we're calling them life groups, but just to kind of get in the right mentality, the idea of being a church of small groups is understanding that real growth takes place in circles, not in rows. You know, you guys come in here and you sit in a pew, and, and, and that's great. This, this teaching time doesn't get us to where we need to be to be the people that God called us to be because there's questions that have to be asked. There's things, there's interactions that have to take place. Real dialogue takes place when we all are looking at each other and learning from each other and growing with each other. And there's, and I think one of the reasons we avoid that so many times is because there's real accountability in that. You know, I, I, I like going to large church services where I can go in and sit in the back and get in and hear the message and get out and nobody really knows who I am or don't really have to interact that much so forth. I enjoy that sometimes. But I know that all, I could have probably got as much out of that if I just listened to that on tape or saw it on TV or, or listened to a podcast or whatever. Because that's really all I was doing was just listening to a guy talk for a few minutes. The real interaction comes when we are actually looking at each other face to face. When you all are looking at each other face to face. When we all are dialoguing and interacting. And asking the questions like, now how do I take this and apply this? And I chose this sermon series title, Building a Community Center, because, and it got the reaction that I wanted uh, almost immediately. It's like, are we building a community center? And, you know, and, and, that's, uh, and that's what I wanted people to ask. Are we building a community center? Because immediately, everybody's mind goes to one thing, a building. They think, well, uh, we must be building something. There must be construction that's getting ready to take place. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that uh, that's not what really a community center uh, is a place you can make a building a community center but a community center is an idea it's an idea of being something in the center of a community it's like a community is not a building it's a group of people and and when we bring people together and we say what needs to be the center so you, so if you understand that community is a group of people that are work in harmony together or are all in some common place if that's a community, then what is the center of that community is very important. And so we talk about building a community center. We're talking about becoming the center of our community and, and making sure that we are the ones who are putting in place where the community needs to come together. Because what is it that we want to be the center of our community? We want it to be the same thing that's the center of our church community, and that is Christ. So if we're trying to build something, 
that people come together and it harmonizes people together and, and work together and focus together where we all have a common focus. And that common focus is Jesus. That's, that's our mission. That's what we're trying to do. In fact, that's what we're supposed to do all over the world. That Jesus came and basically he said, I want to be the center of Jerusalem. I want to be the center of Judea. I want to be the center of Samaria. I want to be the center of every place on the entire planet. I want people to come to me. I want to be the center of your life. I want to be the center of your family. I want to be the center of Cecilia. I want to be the center of Elizabethtown. I want to be the center of Hardin County, the center of Kentucky. I want, he needs to be the center of everything that we are doing. So when we talk about building a community center, we're talking about working together to see that Christ is the center of everything we do in life. And because if you throw up a building, say you build a gymnasium or you put in some, and you put in some rooms where you can shoot pool or do whatever... I mean, people can build those all the time. The world has plenty of that. Those things don't change people's lives. Those things don't make a difference in the world. Those things come and go, and people live and die, and it doesn't make a difference for eternity. But if you build gymnasiums, and you put in pool tables, and you have things, and Christ is the center of why you're putting those things in place, now they have eternal value. Now they have an eternal purpose. Now now the focus of everything that we're doing. So it's not about what we're building. It's about why we're building it. It's about what, what we desire to be the center of everything that we're doing. And the only way that happens, it just doesn't happen naturally. You don't just go and build up. Build, people build church buildings and hope that they become churches. But they don't. That doesn't happen like that. There has to be. God has to be the one building. He says, unless the uh, Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who strive to build it. Because unless he's the one who's putting it together, unless he's the one who's, it's his mission, it's his plan, it's his purpose, then it really doesn't have anything. So today, we're looking at what a perfect, a perfect community looks like. A perfect community is, is simply a, uh, a community that is what we would call perfect it's the next slide. Yeah. There you go. There it is. Three words. When I think of a perfect community, I think of things like uh, New Harmony, Indiana. You know, uh, we were talking about that the other day, how people try to put communities together to form some type of utopian society where we can get everything exactly like it's supposed to be. But when we actually think of a perfect community, the only perfect community the Bible ever talks about is the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. And you think about the Garden of Eden and its attributes and the things it has. Well, there were no buildings, so it just strike buildings up. So buildings aren't required for perfect community. Uh, there were, uh, we assume, some plant life. Uh, there were some plants and vegetation and nature and so forth. There were people and there was God. And really, that's, that's it. That's it. You add nature, you know, the world in which we live, a habitat, a place to live, and you have people and God, and that's a perfect community. That's the way God designed it to be. Now, there's animals, you know, thrown in there so for, for, for more uh, decoration. Uh, but, uh, but, the, but the real gist of the perfect community is, is all the created order that God, everything God made, people, and himself, himself. And that is the perfect community. And that's, that's really all we're trying to get back to. You know, when you think of heaven, you know, people talk about mansions and glory and so forth. And, and, uh, and think of maybe being clouds or clouds being around or angels or whatever. But really, if you think about, I want to live in a perfect place. Uh, we, 
we buy into this idea that if I get the perfect house with the perfect car, with the perfect family, in the perfect neighborhood, with the perfect government, that all these things will lead to perfection. But but if you really want to understand, those things have never worked. They've never been perfect ever. So if you really understand perfection, then it has to be some, there, there's three things we're going to look at today that show how God put things into a perfect order. So if we're trying to strive for perfection and we want to experience uh, the best that God has to give, we want to get it right, then we're looking to see how God does it. And we start with this first concept, and that is it has to be the perfect design. It has to be the perfect design. So when we, because that's what we start, when we think about, I want to build a perfect community, I want to build a perfect community center or whatever, it has to be designed correctly. And so we have to think about how would God design it? Let's look at this passage of scripture in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Before you read, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. And Lord, just pray that as we read your word, Lord, that you would give us understanding, Father, about who you are and how you do things. Father, that we would do things the way you do things. Father, that you would do, we would do it in a way that you would have us to do it. Father, we need to, we need to hear your voice, know you, understand you. Lord, be like you. Father, we have to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. We have to have your guidance and direction. So, Father, just give us that this morning. Father, we want to know your will. We want to be in the center of your will. Father, for we know that whatever we are trying to do, it's in vain unless you are the one who's guiding it and directing it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He says, Then God said, is that right? Yes. Verse 26. I'm looking at verse 24. 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Now, there's some key things in this passage that we want to take note of. First of all, you notice that he uses, when he refers to himself, he refers to himself in the plural. Now, there's a reason for that in Hebrew. And the Hebrew reason is, is that to kind of add emphasis, they didn't want to use just simple pronouns to describe God because God is so much more than just a he. So they would use plural pronouns to describe God like they and we and our. And so that's the reason he did it. But but that's only because there's, you know, as Moses is recording Genesis, Moses only knows God from Mount Sinai and, and the Holy of Holies and, and the God that has revealed the law to him and so forth. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't really know the Holy Spirit. And so, I mean, the Spirit of God is, is kind of uh, all these things are ambiguous. We have this greater revelation because we know, uh, you know, Jesus uh, came as the son of God. Jesus introduced us to the Holy Spirit. There was a concept of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but we got a much fuller understanding of the Holy Spirit. So we have these three persons 
of God that have been introduced to us. You know, when Jesus is being baptized, uh, you have the, fa- the son who's being baptized in the water, the father speaking from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well, uh, well pleased. And, and then you have the spirit of God descending in bodily form as a dove upon Jesus. So you have the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, and God the Father, all three persons. And so the way we account for that is we have this word called the Trinity. The people will say, well, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. But we do know in the Bible it does refer to God as three distinct persons. And here's what's really cool about this. This is actually the first community. So God didn't start out alone. He didn't start out lonely as if he was just all by himself. So I could really use some people to spice things up a little bit. He, he actually started out in community with there was a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit for all eternity. And and what we do know is this, is that they were perfect. It was a perfect community, just the three of them. No buildings, no no gardens, no nothing, just the the Godhead. And there was an idea, a thought, something in God's mind, the mind of God that he wanted, wanted to create us in his image. And we know because we also have further revelation that he loves us, that he created someone to love, created someone to love. And this is far beyond Build-A-Bear. I don't know if you've ever been to Build-A-Bear, but, you know, you build kids go into Build-A-Bear to build something to love. You know, and they put a heart in it and they pick it exactly like they want and so forth. But this is this is far beyond that. This is God saying, I I want to create a being that I can interact with, one that is like me. Not that's God, but, but thinks and reasons and feels and knows and understands and builds the, the things that, you know, when you look at the things mankind does and you marvel at those things, you have to marvel even more at God because these are just simply image, imagery of who God really is. When you see the things that mankind can do, it's because God gave us the capacity to do those things. He designed us that way. He designed us to be in community. He designed us to be in community, to be in his image and to do things. And look, and he said to be in, to have dominion, to be over, to living creatures and so forth and all these different things that he has. He says, they will rule the fish of the sea. The birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. He he designed us to be Lord, little l, of the earth. Designed us to be the lords of the earth. To oversee it, to watch over it, to rule it, to, to guide it, to take care of it, to be good stewards of it. This is who we were made to be. So in the so his design is is that we would manage his creation, manage his creation. And so, so when you think about being the people that God designed us to be, being who people, who God made us to be, then one of the thoughts has to be that uh, is this. The perfect design is you and I were made by someone greater than this world to be someone greater. To be someone greater. Meaning, we weren't supposed to be like animals. We were supposed to be something greater than animals. We're supposed to be... So, 
our our flesh, our you know, the world's thing is that you know we are just the world thinks of us just as created animals, and so we do things because that's just the way we do things. But no, no, we were desired to think higher. We were designed to think better. We were designed to be better. And so you are so much more than just some animal that was made to just simply exist and go after whatever you desire to have. You know, you don't, we don't observe the animals and say, let's be like them. You know, so much of the world, I see so many things that, that try to compare animals to man and saying, see how we're so much like them and the animal kingdom is so much like us and so forth. They're going from primates all the way down to dolphins or, and all these different creatures and so forth. How look at the ants and so forth. And we can look at those things, but, but we have to understand we are so much more than those things. We are so much greater than those things. We were designed to be greater than those things. So in order to to understand how we are to design, we have to understand how we are designed. We are designed. And so we we need to be who we were created to be. So don't settle for, oh, that's just me. No, 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 no. That's not just you. If you if you've done some if you're doing something wrong, something subpar, and, and you know that you could be so much more, then be so much more. Be so much more. Be who God designed you to be. Get back to who he crafted you to be. Discover your gifts. Discover your skills. Discover all the things he made you with. Either you know, Some people have a better sense of humor than others. Some people are better at drawing than others. Some people are better at speaking than others. Whatever it is that he wired you with, find out what that is and be that person that God designed you to be. And then as you discover how you were designed, now you begin designing. Now you begin, we begin to think in terms of, you know, myself, I am made for more than just simply existing. I am made, I'm made to be something, be something great. God made me, you know, the boys club used to say, God don't make no junk, you know, and there's truth in that. There's, I mean, that we're not made just to, to be nothing, and so you think, I want to be somebody. You know, if you ever have that feeling, I would like to be something. I want my life to have an impact. There's a reason why you have that feeling inside. Because God made you to have that feeling inside. And you're not, to, and you're not just to look at the animals and how they do things. You're to look to God and see how God does things. And think, that's how I'm supposed to be. Um, that's what I'm supposed to do. So, so be, you know, you were made by someone greater than the world. The world didn't make you. The world doesn't define you. The world can't give you names and labels and say, oh, you're this and you have that. Those are just things the world says. I tell people all the time, they say, well, the doctor told me this. I said, well, he's just a man or she's just a woman. They're just doctors say whatever doctors say. It doesn't matter what doctors say. It matters what God says because he's the one who made you. He's, it's what his, he has the final word. And doctors need to be more humble about that. They need to understand that they can't discern, discern, discern who's going to live or who's going to die. They can't discern who's going to be great and who's going to be great. You know, when psychiatrists or psychologists come along and say, oh, this is what this person's going to turn out to be, they don't get that right. They don't know because they don't know uh, how God designed you. God knows how you're designed. And God designed you for great things. God designed you for great things. And so be the person that God designed you to do. So you, so you, have, the perfect, you have a perfect design. 
You have a perfect design that's been flawed by the world, so stop looking at the world's definition and look at God's definition and be the person you were created to be. But then beyond that, you have a perfect purpose. God's de- to have a perfect community, you have to have a perfect purpose. And look what uh, God says, and we see this in Isaiah chapter 6. I got glasses. I don't know why I don't wear my glasses. I'm not living up to my full potential because I'm not wearing my glasses. Isaiah 6, 8. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Now, Isaiah is a prophet who is uh, working in the temple. He works in the temple. He's a priest. And uh, so he's serving in the temple. And as he's in the court of the temple, he has this amazing vision. Amazing vision of God. And, 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 he's, and he's given a glimpse of God's glory. Of how great God is. I mean, he just has this moment of holiness. And it's so impactful that he feels unworthy to be there. He's like, I'm, I'm not worthy. You know, he's like, I, I, I don't deserve to be here because I'm an unclean person. So God does something, kind of takes tongs and coals and so forth and touches him and to kind of show that I can make you pure and so forth. It's all symbolic more than anything. And, and then God speaks to him. It says, I have something I need done. And I need somebody to do it for me. And Isaiah, in the presence of God, says, here I am. Send me. Send me. And and all that you need to know about a perfect purpose is this. Any purpose that God calls us to is a perfect purpose. There's only two kinds of purposes in the world. Those that are of God and those are not, that are not of God. I mean, he has his, he has a purpose he made you for. And then there's every other purpose on the planet. All the other purposes, things we do. And and we have to, and, and, and he is trying to get us to a place where we can see that we are on the wrong purpose. If we're not on his purpose. And so when we discover we're not doing what God created us to do, what God designed us to do, it's supposed to make us feel like, oh, wow. And then, and then I'm in the wrong place. And then we come to God, and then the next thing that happens is God says, well, here's, here's who I am. Look at me. And, and here's what initially happens when people stop looking at the world and look at God. We think, oh, my goodness, I am not worthy to be in the presence of God. I'm not worthy. You know, I used to think I was God's gift to God, if that makes sense. I, I used to think I was all that, something really special. And, and I remember thinking everybody who was blessed, you know, I used to think women were blessed to go out with me. I used to think people were blessed to have me in their home. I used to think that, uh, you know, every committee or every group that I was a part of in school, they were blessed that I, because I was just such a, I was told how special I was and I started to believe that I was very special. And so I, I thought I'm a really super, 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 super special person. And then as my life began to not be so special, I made some not so special decisions and things didn't go especially well. I remember turning to God and I remember, I can remember a moment of being in the presence of God where, you know, just a holy moment, just a moment where I became very aware of who God is 
through his word and through his word being preached and songs being sung. It was like, and, and understanding about Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross for me and, and God's overwhelming love for me and how holy God is and understanding the holiness of God. And immediately, I did not feel special anymore. In fact, it was just the opposite. I felt completely unworthy. And what I felt was is that I can't do anything for God because I, because of the things I've done. I've messed up too much. I can't, I mean, God has things he needs done, but he, you know, like I, he has Billy Graham reaching the nations and he has all these people doing mission work. And so, but I can't be a missionary and I can't be a preacher and I can't work in the church because I have a, I have a horrible resume. I have, I've failed. He needs somebody who hasn't messed up as much as me to do these things. And so he, he's got to find somebody that fits that category. And then I had an Isaiah moment where he came to me and said, no, 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 no. I can fix that. I can make you who you need to be. I can forgive all your sins. And I can make you holy. Not by anything you've done. Not because you are doing anything great. But because I'm a great God. And I can do great things. And I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to make you new. So that I can use you. And that's what he did. And then all he needs at that point, that's the point where we can say, now he says, now I've got something to do. I just need somebody to do it. That's when I can say, well, here I am. Here I am, your newly conditioned person, your newly redeemed person, your transformed new person. Here I am. Use me. Use me. And that's exactly what he does. And then he gives us a perfect purpose. And as we, as we look at, you know, our, our own lives and how do, what do I do and, and what am I supposed to do? And I want to do, I want to live, I want to do something that matters. I want to do something that's important. Well, you need to remember, you were called by someone who's greater than the world. The world is calling for you to do all kinds of things. Be a, be this or be that or do this or do that. The world has all kinds of things for you to do. And well-meaning people, Christian people asking you to do things is not God calling you to do things. God, God has a specific thing, specific things he wants you to do. But you have to get into the presence of his holiness. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you have to learn how to do that. That's why we get into small groups of people and we, say, we ask other people who have experienced God. We say, how do you get into the presence of God? And it's something you're learned. It's something that has to be trained in. Something you don't, you don't just get in a day. You know, It's not like I can go to some planet and meet Luke Skywalker and in a day or two he can give me some special training or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm a Jedi. It doesn't work like that. It takes time. For us to develop these things, we ask questions. And this is why small groups are so important. Because we get and say, hey, I tried this, and I'm not sure if this is God's will. And how do I know that this is what God wants me to do? And, and these are things we interact with and share with and, and, and help and understand. But know this, there is something that God wants you to do. And he's calling you to do it. He's calling you to do it. To do something greater. All kinds of people do good things. All kinds of people do good things. People who are Buddhist do good things. People who are Muslim do good things. All over the planet, people are doing good things. But you are called to do something greater. Something greater. Something that transcends what men can do in and of themselves. Jesus did something greater 
than mankind can do. John the Baptist did something greater than mankind can do. The disciples all did things greater than mankind. Remember, they were fishing, and they were really good fishermen. And Jesus had this, there was this incident with Jesus, and, he, uh, and he's trying to show them that uh, something greater than what they realize is here. Because they were, they were good fishermen, and they'd been fishing all night, and they hadn't caught anything. And it was time to it was time to quit. You know, they they were they knew when I don't know if you've ever been fishing before, but there's a time when you quit, you realize I'm not gonna catch any fish now, so it's, let's just give it up. And Jesus said, Nope, let's go back out. Let's fish some more. And uh they're like, uh, hey, uh Jesus, you're not really what I would call uh experienced fishermen. Look, this is what we do. And he's like, No, let's put it back out. And be, out of their respect for him, out of their love for him. They did what he asked them to do. So they went back out, and he says, I want you to cast your nets over there. It's like, what? You know, it's like, wow, doesn't make sense. He just, they just do what he tells them to do, even though they know that's not what they've been trained to do. That's not the way the world works. But they do it anyway. And they catch so many fish, they have to call other boats to help them get all the fish in. And Peter looks at Jesus and realizes, I am an unclean man. I'm not worthy to be around you. You know, we're not worthy to be around you. You know, they, don't, they realize that this is the Lord. Because it's not about just doing what we know to do. It's about doing what God asks us to do. Because when we're doing what God has called us to do, when God says, I want you to go over here, it may make no sense to us at all. But God says, you don't understand. I am bringing about the redemption of mankind. I am, I am redeeming the world. And I want you to be a part of this redemptive process. I want, to be, I want you to be a part of me changing the world, of bringing my son Jesus to the center of the world. And if you will just simply do what I ask you to do, it will fit into that plan perfectly. But you have to do what I tell you to do. And you have to do it like I tell you to do it. And every time we do that, every time we listen to him, and every time we do exactly what he tells us to do, he works it into his perfect plan to bring about his perfect results. Because it is a perfect purpose. So we have a perfect design and now a perfect purpose. And The only thing left in God's perfect community is a perfect relationship. The perfect relationship. Now, this is where it gets super fun. Because we all want a perfect relationship. And we are so miserably bad at it. We are so bad at it. You know, and here's why. Because there's no perfect people. We think there are. And here's, here's, the, here's the thing that's kind of interesting to me is, especially with teenagers, and I'm looking at you guys over here because this is going to affect you. <laughs> you think, you think that there's a perfect person out there just for you. And the older people in this room are all thinking, are you realized? Okay, maybe you've already come to this realization. I hope so. Because the rest of us in the room who are older are thinking uh, there, <laughs> there isn't. And, and, you know, if you're married, just reach over and touch 
the hand of your spouse and say, you're not perfect, honey. I'm sorry. Uh, Because there are no perfect people. There are no perfect people. So how do you have a perfect relationship without perfect people? Well, God shows us. Look at what God says in uh, chapter Genesis, chapter 2. Look what God does for Adam. Chapter 2, verse 18. It says, then the, then the Lord said, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. As his complement. Now, here is a, a much debated idea. And that is, before the fall... Did wives submit to their husbands? Nobody's going to answer that question, so I'll answer it for you. Um, Yes. And here's why. Because before the fall, Jesus, the son, submitted to the father. And even after the fall, it doesn't matter because Jesus never sins. Jesus is in a perfect world. The son submits to the father. Now, how does that work? Because submission, submission is not the same as saying lesser than. See, that's the way the world sees it. They see as when we, and and here's where people misunderstand. When when Paul says, wives, submit to your husband, before he tells wives to submit to their husbands, you know what he says? Everybody in the church, submit to each other. Men submitting to men, women submitting to women, wives submitting to husbands, husbands submitting to wives. He's just pointing out, here's a way you can demonstrate this within your own home. Stop trying to figure out who's more important and just simply submit to each other. Submission to each other. Jesus demonstrates it with his disciples. He says, you you judge me. I'm the greater one. I'm the teacher. Look at me. I'm going to take my shirt off, wrap it around my waist. I'm going to wash your feet. See me doing this? See me submitting myself? to the will of the Father. We all submit to the will of the Father. It's not about submission. The key here is the word complement. That we fit together. When we submit to each other, we are complementing each other. Not complementing with an I. <laughs> complementing with eyes when I say, boy, you have nice shoes today. Or you look really nice in that tie. That's a compliment with an I. Compliment with an E in the middle is when things fit together for a purpose. When things fit together for a purpose. And what he realized was, is this man, I have something for this man to do, and he can't do it without somebody else. So I'm going to create the person who he needs in order to get the job done I created him to do. I, I created him to be something. I created him to do something. I designed him to, to, to be something. I designed him to do something. But he can't do it without this person. The church can't do it without each other. Families can't do what God made us do without each other. Husbands and wives can't do what they were designed to do without each other. Paul says, if you can be single... And do God's purpose, you are so much better off if you can 
But we are not all designed to be single. In fact, most of us are not designed to be single. Being designed to be single is a special gift, meaning you were designed to do God's will without a spouse. And there, Jesus had that gift. I do not. Learned that at an early age. I can't do what God put me here to do without somebody. And I prayed. I said, God, here it says in your word, you designed us. Denise, I obviously can't function without another person. I can't do what you made me to do without somebody else. So please show me who that person is. And he did. And he did. Now, some people don't pray that prayer. And some people... Don't follow God's wisdom and they marry people and get married into covenant relationships with other people without paying attention to God's instructions. And then they say, so what do I, so is there somebody else that I'm better suited for? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not about a soulmate. Soulmate's a Greek understanding. The way the soulmate terms come to us, a Plato uh, philosophy understanding. That means that they believed that you were one person split in half, and so you half your soul is in one person and half your soul is in another, and you've got to find that soulmate in order to be who you're created to be. That's not God's plan. God just says some people were made to do this alone, and some people were made where they needed somebody else to compliment them. And here's what God can do in Romans 8, 28. It says, I can work all things together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. And this is what he means. If you married somebody who you think is the wrong person, I can make that person who they need to be. I can change people. That's what he does. He changes people. And so, yeah, that person, you may, it may have started out for the wrong thing, but I can work it together. We can, he will now find a purpose that the two of you can do together. You may get new instructions because you got this person instead of that person. But those new instructions, that's your new purpose. And it's always about discovering what God's purpose is for us and then just doing that. But know this. We have to do it together. The perfect relationship, this is the key to the perfect relationship. We are greater together. We are greater together. So let's come together in Christ and do something together. Do something together. Do something greater together. And that means... If we want to be the perfect community in our home, the perfect community in our church, the perfect community in our workplace, the perfect community in our community, here's what has to happen. We have to understand God made us to be something greater, made us to do something greater, and he made us to do it together so we have to find a way to work together to work together so here's my question or first statement and then a question only Jesus perfects relationships only Jesus perfects relationships this is where many of us are struggling Many of us are struggling to be better people. I want to be a better servant. I tell God this all the time. God, I want to try harder to be a better servant. 
And then I, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. And I want our family to, be, to relate better together. And, and, and we think if I work harder at it, I read these books and I go to these seminars and we do all these different things, I can, I can get this where it needs to be. If I just try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder, that we'll get it to where it needs to be. And churches are doing that. Churches are like, we need, to, we need more of this. I have people come to me all the time, preacher, we need to do more of this. We need more visiting or we need to be more of this. And, and they all are thinking, we're not where we need to be. To get where we need to be, we need to do this. And we went to this other church, and this really worked. And, and we need to do these things. And we need, whoa, it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. We don't do this. Jesus does this. Jesus perfects us. Jesus perfects our relationships. The problem is, we don't trust him to do it. So we try to do it on our own. And this is what I'm asking this morning. Will you trust him? Will you trust him that if you follow him, he will perfect you? He will make you who you need to be. Will you trust him that if you follow him, he will perfect the people that you relate to in life? And you pray for them. And just as as you see him perfect you, you can believe that he will perfect them. The same way. And can be patient about it. Isn't it frustrating when people say, yeah, I got in shape. And this is how I did it. And you need to do it too. And you're like, I don't think I can do that. You know, and you're like, I don't think I can do what you did. You know, and, and it's like, yeah, you could do it. If you just, if you wanted to do it, you could do it. And they say things like that. If you tried hard enough, you could do it. You're just a loser is what they're saying. You're just a loser and you're lazy and all these different things. You feel like defeated. Jesus didn't come to say, you'll have to be messiahs just like me. He didn't say that he's not a defeater. He's a victor. He said, I get it. You can't do it. (laughs) But I can do it for you. He says, all you guys are worn out, tired, exhausted from trying. Come to me. I will give you rest. He said, take on my yoke. He says, just come beside me. Let me pull the weight. Let me show you how it's done. You just walk with me and I will get you where you need to be. I will perfect you. I will perfect all who come to me. And when we realize that and when he does that for us, how much better it is when you go to people and say, hey, here's my, here's my diet plan. Here's my exercise plan. We say, no, 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 no. Here's my Jesus. The Jesus that changed me can change you. Perfectly. Father, we just thank you, God, so much for how great and amazing you are. And, Father, I pray, Father, that we would all just simply come to you and trust that you, by following you, it's not just simply praying a prayer today. We have to follow you. We have to obey you. We have to look and see what you tell us to do. We have to be who we were created to be. We have to understand to be the saints that you've made us to to walk in holiness and then do the things you made us to do. We have to do those things. We have to do them with the people you designed us to do them with. But as we are obedient and do those things, Father, you will transform us. You will perfect us. Lord, we cannot create a perfect community. But Lord, we can give our community to you And you can perfect it. 
You can, not us. So Lord, may we come to you today and trust you. Anybody here today who needs to be changed, needs to be transformed, needs to be made new. May they realize that you died on the cross. You sacrificed your life so our sins could be forgiven. Father, you rose from the dead to conquer death. And now you give all of us the opportunity for eternal life. And more than that, you give us your Holy Spirit so that we can be made like you. May we receive what you have to give. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.